Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery. And once again, remote, we have, I think, both coasts, right? We've got we've got Paul Mendoza. I believe you're in California. Hello from L.A., yes. And Susan Augenbraun. And you're the other side of the country. Coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm I'm pretty much straight in the middle. I mean, we're Omaha, Nebraska. So I guess I guess we've covered a wide swath of land here is, is how this is working. And Paul, you run you run the, the digital design team over at UCLA. And Susan, you're in charge of the you're the events manager of AIGA, the nat- national. Do they just do they still just call do they just call it it's it, we always called it national when I was on a local board because when you talk about AIGA, we always just thought, well, AIGA is just our local group, you know. And then we'd say like national when it involved the, the overall organization. But I assume you guys are technically just AIGA and the group I was in was AIGA Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. But we also will say the national office of AIGA. Okay, the national office. Okay. So so you're you're in charge of the events. And the reason I wanted to have you guys on the show is because for the second year in a row, I know the the uh, pandemic and such was probably part of the reason that this happened. You have you two have basically created the AIJ Portfolio Festival. And I know other people have been involved, but the AIJ Portfolio Festival, which just just here in July, wrapped up its second year. And I thought I thought it went fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Susan and I talk a fair amount during the sessions and the planning thereof. And we've come to the conclusion that this is perhaps our favorite event. So it's always so rewarding for me to work on this event and with uh, Susan and also worth mentioning, um, Kat Bundy, our uh, Senior Director of Programs and Events in the AIGA National Office. I love working on this one. Uh, Susan, how do you feel a few days later? Yeah, no, this is a this is a really great event. Definitely are, are one of our favorites, although it's also, after every event I do, I'm always like, well, this one is my favorite. This one is my favorite. But coming off of this one, it really, really is um, such a great event. And I think it also, I love that we've had created this event, like you mentioned, Donovan, in 2020 in response to the pandemic and seeing it come back for a second year and just the way that it grew and, you know, was so successful twice now really feels um, amazing. So I'm very, I'm very proud of our team for that. And I know, I know that a lot of conferences obviously went online and they're hoping to go back to, you know, uh, in person again, but the Portfolio Festival, and for those who haven't know much about it, we did have Justin Dower, we had him on the podcast last year and I found out and I was talking about, we were talking about virtual conferences and we mentioned this and he said, oh, he was one of the keynotes. And I was like, oh, so we talked, we talked about this a little bit for the listeners who paid attention last year, but this one never, never was an in-person event, was it? I mean, it may have, there may have been portfolio events, but the AIJ portfolio festival was created solely as an, as an online entity. Yeah, that's right. Um, Portfolio review events have been a huge part of what AIGA chapters have provided for their local communities over the years. Uh, but this is the first, and we've actually, we've had a, a portfolio review as a component of a design conference when it was in person, but this is the first year that we at the national office have done something kind of overarching like this and kind of as big as, as um, it was. And I think that fact that it was virtual is part of what allowed us to 
tap into people all over the country, both reviewees and reviewers to have people, you know, give just an hour of their time or to join us, um, you know, in between other things and really, you know, have an opportunity to come together and meet people from other sides of the country without having, you know, a big investment or a big time or money investment that was part of what was special about this and, and why we, what it is part of the conception from the beginning as a virtual event. Yeah, that makes sense too, because this is the one type of thing where if, if I was a student, I don't know if I would drive more than an hour or two. I guess I guess I probably drove three hours because I went to school in Kearney and you had to drive to Omaha to get your portfolio, to go to the, the local portfolio review thing, which here it's, it's done by the ad club because they've done it for like 70 years now. And they've done a great job at the Meet the Pros. But this isn't something you wouldn't drive, I wouldn't anyway, like 12 hours to go to a portfolio event. But it's something, so I think this one works very well as a virtual thing. That's definitely a lesson that we're learning in all sorts of virtual spaces was the issue of access. So when it comes to being more equitable in the services that we offer as an organization, by making more of our products virtual, we'll suddenly have access to more people for whom this is now something that you can do. It is challenging often on both sides of the event process of finding the space, the convention center, booking a hotel, getting your flights together. And if we look at what our original goals are, which are to advance design as a cultural force, as a strategic advantage, there are plenty of opportunities now that the pandemic has taught us whether we wanted to learn them or not that we can still accomplish all of that, even though we're not in the same physical space. It's been a really wonderful experience of building community that way. I, I found that to be quite rewarding. And I've asked, and, and, then, and then part of this, so, so the event for those who don't know is mostly it was, it was a bunch of keynotes. People talked about portfolios, what they should do. You had, you had some huge hitters. I think the last day you had Aaron Draplin is one of the, is one of the keynotes. Justin Dower is, I think he might've returned again this year. And then you ended each day with, you brought in, it looked like a large amount of, of, of professional designers or whatever we call ourselves. And thank, thank you, I, I did it again for the second year. And then it was, you hooked them up where one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one or three-on-one with, with people who would review their portfolios and they would share a screen. And, and so I, I asked everyone I reviewed last year and this year, I always say like, how's the event going? You know, you just kind of get a feel. And one person mentioned this time, they said it's it's the one event that they'd gone to digitally that actually had like no technology hookup, uh, hiccups. They said- Hey, look at us. Oh. That's amazing. <laughs> we're so proud of, because we've, we have our, so Susan and I, we've done a lot of these sessions in the past. There are moments when we are on fire. And then there are also moments when we're like, well, that happened. Yeah. So, <laughs> It, a lot of that, like with just design practice as well, is that's a skill. It comes with time and investment and experience. So it's nice to see that pay off and um, with with a a smoother tech story. Would Would you agree, yeah. Susan? Yeah, and it was a real like twenty twenty was total trial by fire. You know, um, we went from producing. I, I want to say we did a webinar occasionally certainly not more than like a couple in a year 
And then we were doing two a week for the first six months of the pandemic. And, you know, we were just uh, trying to get content out, trying to support people um, either with opportunities to connect or covering topics like, you know, losing client work or how to be resilient and all of the, you know, just things that our community needed. But, and also like Paul mentioned, opportunities for community, because those were kind of the two things that people really, really needed and were telling us they needed at that time was um, resources to help them through the economic downturn and resources to help them through the isolation and the, and the fear and all of that stuff that we were all going through and, and still are, you know. And so we learned very quickly how to produce events that addressed some of these things. And somewhere along the way in the spring, we started conceiving of um, an opportunity to support either recent grads who are coming into this, you know, really crazy market for the and, first time. And, and they don't even know it's crazy. They just, they just know this is the only market they're ever going to see. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they'd also had so much else of, of what should have happened there, you know, the spring as they finished up school kind of taken away from them. And then there was also another group of people, which is working professionals, whether new to the job market or, or not, you know, working for several years who, who their, their work dried up, they got laid off. So, you know, what about these people who suddenly need to, to show their work and, you know, look for new jobs. And so the portfolio festival came out of, out of those impulses to support those people. But we were also really conscious that we wanted it to feel like part of the reason to call it a festival and not a conference or just a portfolio review um, was that we wanted it to feel celebratory. We wanted to get these, these folks the constructive criticism that could help them improve, but also just to congratulate them on the work that they were doing. That was something that I think a lot about because when we're in these virtual spaces in these squares of ours, there are moments that you lose that make it feel like you're in space. You're just floating in space. There's there's no ambient noise, there's no music. So when approaching this like a festival, having been to so many, so many favorites, right? Coachella 09, Coachella 11, so many like film festivals and things and trying to capture that vibe and that experience. It is to grow and to transform, but it's also to gas you up, you know? This is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that we we do something cool or we have resonated with something cool. And that is something, uh, professionally, I mean, that we're, we, we get to be, as Sean Adams would say, we get to be the fun people in an office, you know? Like there are folks who are on uh, a much more straight-laced path and this has discipline and formality to it, but also like, there's a warmth and an energy to tapping into that creativity as a design professional. And so to capture that in an event is um, something we thought a lot about and we're really happy to deliver and refine. Is this a good time? Should I, could I tell like the, the story about the tech checks from last year? Is that, is this a good time to talk about that? Oh yeah, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> so when, the event was initially pitched and we were figuring out how would we onboard all of this talent. Something that came up in our discussion was that many of the people who we would invite to review and to moderate a session may not be as familiar with Zoom at this stage of the pandemic. We had only been remote for a couple of months and Zoom as a tool changes all the time. You can update Zoom and there's probably going to be an update waiting for you. It changes like every two weeks. Yeah. So something that was I think a key part of the success of last year and building on 
to it for this year was the opportunity to connect with our very best professionals and showing them Zoom for a little bit. So hopping on 20 minute calls being like, hey, how are you doing? Click on this. Have you ever annotated anything before? Do you know how to share your screen on and off? And as a, one, that's one of my favorite memories from planning the festival last year and putting everything together was being able to uh, get to know all these incredible people and their lives and see how they're doing. You know, the, this is the view outside of my office or um, here are my cats or just getting to know them not only as the really reputable prof professionals that we know them to be within the context of this organization, but just to be like, let's, um, let's figure out how to build the tools together. And so this year we didn't necessarily have to because we were so well-versed already as a group to be like, okay, well, we know how Zoom works for the most part. But yeah, it, that was kind of the fun magic of last year, just trying to figure that out of like, ah, uh, what do we do, you know? Um, and, and last yeah. year, everyone would have been, or the, the vast majority would have been at their homes too. Or this year, I'm assuming it was probably a lot of people were back at the office, some were at home, so it's a little bit different too. But you, you were seeing yeah. people in there where they live. Yeah, and I think that that also was part of like what we were saying before about the the thing with no, there were no technical hiccups according to um, one of your reviewees. But what we found all through last year, not just with the Portfolio Festival, but with all kinds of events, is that folks were really forgiving. Um, I think that you know when you're when you're looking at a screen and you're seeing someone sitting in their home and their child or their cat is interrupting them or like noise is coming in from the street or something. Um, and, and you're going through the same thing too in your own home, uh, this place that you haven't really been able to leave, <laughs> that everyone was so supportive of other people. And even when hiccups did happen or if somebody dropped out of the call or if you know something had to start over or um, you know slides weren't advancing or all of those kinds of scenarios that we, we ran into over the months that we were doing this, um, it was the audience and the members of our community were there to like support each other and not to be like, oh my God, I can't believe there's another technical difficulty. They were like, you got this, you're doing great. That was always the the kind of the response to any any hiccups. And and I think I think I think it's it's because even like going into the when when you when you had the thing and you put people into break up breakout rooms and stuff it's obvious that that stuff was rehearsed and planned and tested beforehand because that stuff doesn't just happen magically. So, but I know there's a lot of it just happens to be luck because somebody's internet connection goes out, whole thing goes down. So <laughs> there's things that that I know are just are just are just luck. Yeah, maybe planned and tested, but planned and tested the day before the 2020 festival with just me, Paul, and and our colleague Kat in a Zoom room, like putting each other in breakout rooms. You know, we really again, I, I just um, there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of learning the system really quickly you know, we got it done. And, and, and like Paul said, this year was a little easier. Just to say that it's a thrill to be at the start of a problem. I think that is what's really fun as a designer. A lot of the times designers are often brought in towards the end. This was an opportunity for us to get together and get things right, right at the beginning. And so it's just a thrill. There was like a certain amount of adrenaline to be like, this is an adventure and it's so great to see it pay off and to see people respond in kind. Well, where do people go to find out more information or I assume, I assume this will be happening. It's planned to be happening again, or is this just, or are we talking about this and it's like, sorry, you'll never get to see one of these again. No, you'll definitely see it again. Um, for now you can visit AIJ.org. 
Um, and then in the drop down menu at the top, we have um, all of our conferences. Um, and, you know, we have other conferences upcoming. The September design conference will be virtual again this year. Um, and then, yeah, we'll be doing another portfolio festival in 2022 for sure. Okay, well, we're going to be right back with Paul and Susan. All right, so we, we're talking about Portfolio Festival. The question that we asked then, because it's just natural, is, is what, what do you expect to see in a portfolio? Or, or what do you think people expect to see in a portfolio? That is a very excellent and complicated question. <laughs> and I say that because the way that we built this festival out, we wanted to be able to meet a wide range of members and the larger part of the design community where they were at. My expectations of a student portfolio or a recent grad is going to be very different from somebody who's mid-career. It's going to be someone very different from someone who's had direction experience. The great thing about an event like this is that folks have the opportunity to learn not only from those who are reviewing their work in an official capacity in a private session, but to learn from each other. And that's certainly how I learned when I was in school and trying to figure out what my book was going to be like. That sort of research is definitely much easier to do now that the expectations are going digital and having things freely accessible on the web or social or, or whatever platform you use. So the expectations vary widely. It really does come down, I think, if I were to say personal preference, ooh, I don't even know if I would say, um, you know, for my own expectations, what, what I would expect to see, what I like to see are a very set amount and focused amount of projects where you have the opportunity to go very deep and show me sketches, process, the way that you think. Because when you are in this information smorgasbord, final polished comps, I see a lot and I, can think of other ways to replicate it and I can also teach that. The other thing, the one thing that I can't teach or the one thing that is a mystery to me when looking at someone's portfolio is how you think and how that informs our relationship on a project. So to know how you think and to put some gristle in the mill about a conversation that I would have with you later in an interview is what I like to see personally in a portfolio. Something that came up again and again, and, and I, I want to preface this by saying I myself am not a designer, so I don't have experience making or looking at portfolios. I, I'm, you know, a, an event producer works for a professional association, but having seen, you know, a couple of years of portfolio festival talks and, you know, five and a half years of the AIGA community um, through my work, I think that what really came across for me on both portfolio festivals and uh, I would say especially this year, actually, I don't know if you'll agree, Paul, but is that uh, people shouldn't be afraid to put the work that really reflects them and they, you know, what they care about and um, what they think is important into their portfolio over and over again. We've just heard like, be, be yourself you know, show us what you're proud of and, and what means the most to you. I remember reviewing a book at an LA portfolio event, and it was uh, one of those plastic insert numbers in a binder. Great. You're able to turn things around, reassemble the book. I can flip through something. There's texture there. Awesome. This design 
grad led with what they thought would be the most prestigious work to them, which would be internships with big companies and brands and so on. Where we had a more meaningful conversation were the personal illustrations that she had done just for herself in the back. And that's where I sparked interest personally. I was like, ah, here you are. Okay. And it's good to see more of that lens and that voice that I know I couldn't get from anyone but this person who I was sitting down with. So plus one to a focus on authenticity and and whittling things away down to your most authentic essence. No, I think that's very fair. Um, when when you look at a book like because because part of the reason you you have to show it is is you talk about your your process and stuff, but it's also I think the person who's interviewing you is seeing like, hey, can I sit next to this person for forty hours a week? So when they always say like networking networking is important, that's the networking part of your interview. And, and if you can connect with them because there's something in your portfolio you can talk about more than just, yeah, I did this for a big company, then, then that's, that's nothing but a positive. It's that, um, that magic in the conversation that happens that you can't really plan for, but you hope for the best. Oh, right. hit my mic. <laughs> <laughs> hit my mic. Uh, you hope for the best. So something that we built in deliberately into the review sessions was that Conventionally, most portfolio sessions or interviews would be a one-on-one -on -one session. What we liked to do was add a second reviewee to the session because of the opportunity to learn from observing other folks, perhaps contribute to the conversation, to decenter yourself, and to be able to look and see like, oh, okay, this is how someone else would do it. One of my responsibilities both years was to pair everybody up. So you'd have... 300 reviewees on one side, you'd have 70 reviewers on the other, and we plug and play. I make those choices and pairings in as informed of a way as possible for the best experience for everybody involved. So I'll look at someone and given my residual knowledge of the reviewers and their work, I think to myself, oh, I think you would have a good conversation with this person and this person. And I think these two reviewees together are great because they're in two different stages of their career. I'll even look at things that like, you're from this part of the world, you're from this part of the world. Sometimes reviewees will give feedback of, I would like to talk specifically about this, or I would like to talk specifically to this kind of designer. And I make as many of those requests happen as I can. <laughs> so it's, in, a, in theory, it could be really random and luck of the draw, but I do try as much as possible to be deliberate in the pairings, to be very mindful of what that experience is and what the outcomes are. Like it's, I still, it's like I'm, you know, it's like I'm teaching basically. Like, here you go. <laughs> right. You're looking for the, for the, the, the opportunity to make the best, best situation. So I remember reviewing a books at some conference and uh, the, the, I thought it was going to be entry students and, and the person who was there, she had like 15 years of package design. And I'm like, it's like, this is great, but I, my advice only goes so far because she's way more experienced than I, and I'm the one supposed to be the, give the review. So I think, I, I think Joseph Duffy was there. So I just walked over to him and was like, go, go talk to this lady. Like you're the one, you're the one she needs to talk to. And so I introduced them. And then I think, I think they had a better review than mine was. Yeah. I think there's also, 
I mean, the, like Paul was saying before about the idea of, of peer reviews or people being able to connect with one another and show each other their work. I remember this happened one year at um, one of the design conferences, maybe 2017 in Minneapolis. We have, you know, when we do the, um, the design conference in person, we have a small army of volunteers, uh, many of whom are college students or, you know, just out of college and they, you know, do, they, they work some of the conference and they, and they get to see some of it as well. And what we always tell them is, you know, we will we'll try and do our best to make a spot for you at the portfolio review, like portion of, of the event. But I just remember this one time there were some volunteers who had really wanted to go have their books reviewed, um, but the tables were all full and they just like kind of sat down next to it and started all looking at each other's work and, you know, talking to each other about their work. And they came out of it being like, wow, we got, I got some really great advice. They had just been talking to one another and not to, you know, some of the kind of quote unquote, big names that they had been there hoping to talk to. And so I think that, you know, peer, peer reviews and, and peer advice, and even like feedback coming from someone who might think to themselves, well, I'm not really qualified to give feedback on this is more important than you think. I, I think when I, the portfolio review I went to as a kid um, or student, the, the, I think it was the copywriter gave me better design advice than the art director. Like they, you know, and, and I learned more from that. So that's amazing. And that's also what's so great about the folks that we invited here, a fair amount of them, the vast majority of them, to be fair, are design professionals, but we also have folks who are uh, investing in creative placement or work very regularly with creative folks and have different lenses on it. That's kind of the cool thing about AIJ as an association is that we do make room for those who are not strictly practitioners of it, who are fans, who are supporters, who have like a great lens on things. And that's also the cool thing about design as a, as a general practice is that it's not often the first thing that someone does in their life. A lot of the times we focus on a population of, I went to school for it, I've been doing it for X amount of years, et cetera. But then based on my experience in the LA board and, and my own experience and the people that I've met from coast to coast, uh, from Nebraska to Brooklyn, is people had lives before they became designers, whole different lives. I worked in TV for 10 years before becoming a designer and going back to school for it. I've met designers who started their lives out as lawyers and chefs and professional dancers. So it's something that comes at many different points in life and it's that diversity of experience that makes our profession so rich and exciting. So it's always great to get different lenses and, um, and takes on your work from places that are not typically thought of in the design space. That's something that's special about this event too, to have a portfolio review event that's not geared only for students or emerging designer. Emerging designers is, you know, a term that we tend to use to talk about people who are like maybe five years, you know, zero to five years into the workforce. So not for, not just for folks in their twenties, not just for college students, but for anybody who might have some work that they want feedback on. Well, we're going to be right back with Paul and Susan. So I know this, I know that this whole portfolio vest festival was I know that this whole portfolio festival was created because of the pandemic and because we're all sitting there at home. And, but now that we're going back to the offices, 
like some of these online events or communities have been created, some of them like this one may may actually stick around. What do you see changing? Like which which of these things do you think of will have the strongest foothold, at least in the next few years, where where people will be like, I know I want to go back to in person, but I still like these aspects. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's really hard to answer because you know, like who who knows what's going to happen six months from now, a year from now, whatever. But I think that the short answer from my perspective, at least, is that there's room for both. The, we're all so online now, even if we are back in our offices and seeing our friends again and vaccinated and so on and so forth, um, that I think that some of these online communities are, are going to continue to have a life and that the Portfolio Festival specifically will continue to be online for some of the reasons we spoke about earlier. But I also think that people are really you know, hungry to connect with one another again and to, to see each other in person. I mean, to use an example from my personal life, I couldn't believe how quickly hugging came back. And I was not right. like upset about it, but you know, I remember the last time I saw so many of my friends were like, oh, we can't even, we're never going to shake hands again. It's elbow bumps from here on out. And it's like, no, the first thing we did, we wanted to do when we saw each other for the first time in a year was hug each other. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that is, is very much still present. I think I know that when when we return to in-person events, um, which we will, you know, maybe not for the portfolio festival, but for other future events, I, I just picture myself standing at the registration table on the first day, like handing out badges and crying because I'm so happy <laughs> to see everybody. Um, so so that you know, I think that I think the other thing that, and this is kind of like um, you know, borne out by studies for associations and other kind of organizations that produce virtual events and in-person events is that, you know, there was this fear before the pandemic that switching to a virtual setting would like eat up your audience, that no one would come in person anymore because they could do it virtually instead. But I think that when we come back to a world where both things are possible, what, what actually happens is borne out by, you know, the evidence when people actually do this is that you don't cannibalize your audience, you expand it. You know, it's, it's, it's not that everyone who was going to attend in person decides that they want to just zoom in from their computer or whatever. It's that the people who want to attend in person will go in person. And then there's a whole new section of people who might not have come at all otherwise. So, you know, how do we, how do we serve both of those communities? Absolutely. The ability to offer multiple points of entry in the future as more in-person events become possible. And hopefully there is some virtual component of it is a really exciting possibility. There are lots of folks who should be part of our community and we would want them as part of our community and to put more energy into figuring out all the ways that we can connect uh, now is time well spent. And I do a fair amount of research and reading now, given that I'm, I work on a lot more uh, virtual events and we spend a lot more time in virtual space. Um, some of the folks who, I am reading a lot more from our people like M. Laser Walker, Gretchen McCulloch, uh, the, the folks who are putting these virtual communities together in different ways. I think uh, something that M. wrote that really resonated with me is the uh, secret behind building deeper relationships are those spontaneous, repeated interactions over time. And it's the spontaneous part that is hard in a virtual space because everything is a calendar invite. Everything is so well planned. And there are 
the 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 barrier that I think is a good design challenge to solve for is how we get more of that passive happenstance interaction hanging out to exist in the same way that it would if you were in person in a hall. There are lots of great products that are developing around that. Gather Town would be one that's uh, popped into my head there that uh, is has has piqued my interest as well as other programs to figure out how to uh, do uh, uh, plan for those spaces and also to be able to invest in like custom spaces because I do think that a lot of the times we will take a lot of these tools off the shelf and we'll figure out a way to get them to work best for us. It is fine, but then it, you get to this place of uh, architecture, right? Building a space intentionally from the ground up and you'll see how when you build physical spaces, it informs a certain type of interaction, a museum, a park, et cetera. And that's the fun thing or interesting and challenging thing, the unexpected thing about being um, someone who runs virtual events now is it's not just your booking talent and getting people into a space. You're also literally building the building <laughs> in which it yeah. all happens. I was going to say, I think it's not a coincidence that even as you're talking about this, you know, virtual world, Paul, you're still using like metaphors and words that come from the physical world, the architecture of, you know, a website or building a space, even though like, you're not in fact, building anything like with a hammer and the space is not a physical space, you know, um, I think that that it's revealing both in the way in which like, we as people think about interactions, but also in kind of like the things that are necessary, you know, the the rules for, I mean, to use your example of like, we build a park or a museum or whatever, like, you know, there are kind of rules for how you are supposed to behave in, in places like that. And so how do you encourage the kind of interactions and um, the kind of world that, that folks are going to enter into, you know, when coming to an event like a virtual conference? And that's, um, that reminds me of another thing too that uh, I've been reading lately. It's New Public is a Substack newsletter that I've been following. And they made a really amazing point. It just like blew my mind in, uh, completely is that, and I'm, I'm also guilty of this. A lot of the times when we think about top class design and what a good experience is, we focus only on an individual. We focus only on one, the person holding the phone, the only person who's in front of a computer. What does it mean to design something meaningful for a group of people that serves a public versus just one, right? So, because so far when we think of user experience as a discipline, it's just like a collection of ones in isolation. But I think the expectations change when you think about a group and uh, a civic public facing group and that sense of togetherness and to use digital tools to build those expectations. What does it mean to design for a public? as opposed to a person, one person, is something that uh, I find to be very juicy uh, in terms of um, a problem to solve. Yeah, and, and for our profession, I guess that is something that that, that we're seeing a shift. And I think, I think if you're like an architect or something, you're like, well, I've been doing that since the beginning, you know, <laughs> but, but that's not what we do or have, have done in the past. Susan, Susan Augenbraun, where do people go to find out more information about you or your work? I do have to um, let people know or where, where yeah. you would like them to go. Sure, yeah, visit AIGA.org and um, specifically visit designconference.aiga.org, which is um, where you'll find information for the next virtual event we're doing, um, which um, 
is in September. Um, it will be a whole week, September 20th through 24th, and we would love to see you there. We will have some of these, you know, spaces to connect in addition to a lot of really amazing speakers and um, just really cool stuff going on. Um, and then, I mean, personally, uh, you can reach out to me through the AIJ website or uh, I'm on Twitter. My handle is Susan Augen, S-U-S-A-N-A-U-G-E-N. Um, yeah, say hi. Okay. And Paul Mendoza, where, where, where would you like people to connect with you or, or to follow your what you're working on? I have a very simple one-page portfolio website uh, maybe I should have gone to the portfolio festival. I definitely need to be build that thing out. <laughs> I, I can be you found at a Paul. Go ahead. You could have even chosen who reviewed you. You could have just been like, oops, there you go. And, and, and you know, <laughs> you would have had like first Straight pick, to the top. right? Yeah. Just, just yeah. cut, just cut in the front of the line. Yep. Yeah. Me. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so my, my portfolio website is appalled.com. That's a double P a U double L E D.com. See what I did there. You can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Paul Mendoza. The, the username should be appalled as well. Um, I'm gonna try and post on TikTok more. You can also follow me there on a, at appalled. There's a whole essay from Eugene Way about the amazingness that is TikTok and what that does in order to generate video content, but that's a different talk. Yeah, so let's let's stick to that. Uh, the, my website, my uh, LinkedIn, and then you know my TikTok if you're nasty. So, uh, <laughs> and, and I would have been, was there anyone who, who showed up at the portfolio festival and was like, I have nothing but TikToks to review. That would have been awesome. I didn't see that in any of the screenshots. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it too is folks are looking for ways to model. So I think there is an opportunity for, uh, in, in, for future iterations of this or programs of this to elevate something like that or amplify something like that because it's just something that I've never seen. But now you've planted an idea in my head, Donovan. I just might try it. Hashtag TikTok careers, hashtag TikTok resume. You know, I think it's a thing. I would, I think, I think reviewing a book of nothing but TikTok videos would be amazing. So, and maybe, maybe, maybe it'll happen. And then I'll be like, why did I ever want this? But who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out and probably sooner than we think. I look forward to it, Donovan. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Paul, Susan, I thank you very much for your time. Um, look forward to, to the next big, big AIJ events. And um, thanks again. Thank you, thank you so Donovan. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.